Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown. He's Bob Flounders. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We are recapping what's going on in Penn State football here this week, early June. Recruiting is starting to pick up, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But, Bob, we did have here on Wednesday, James Franklin and his assistant coaches were available to talk to, and and James talked for about 20 minutes or so Mm -hmm. uh, about a variety of topics. So I figured we'll just kind of go down the checklist of what James had to say on Wednesday and and, uh, and go from there. I mean, the, the, the big thing was... I'm not sure about newsworthiness necessarily, but James got pretty um, fired up about name image likeness and and what it's going to take to compete on that front and how quickly that needs to happen. And it's something that, I mean, is very much worth watching how quickly they can pull things together and be competitive in that space. Yeah, I agree. And I think to me, it feels like James sees the writing on the wall and he sees he sees what is probably going to be required to be done. This was even, and it was hard enough for James to kind of keep up with Ohio State before NIL. But I think now, Dustin, that's just another, it feels like another advantage for the Buckeyes. They are the more established program. When you talk about recency and winning in the Big Ten, when you talk about beating Penn State, I mean, it's all about, I, I think what I think what got James's ire up is, uh, I think it was a Cleveland.com story by uh, Doug Lamarice where I think Ryan Day and maybe the AD were, I don't know if they were in front of boosters or they, they went someplace and they basically said, the expectation is that we'll, to, to field the team we want to field right now is, is going to be like about $13 million a year in, in NIL money spread out across the program. And I was refreshing for to hear Ryan Day say that in, in one aspect, but I just think that, that that that's a pretty high bar, I think, for James Franklin at Penn State, considering the last two seasons uh, they have had. He's recruited well. They have not won a lot of games. I'm just wondering if James – it's kind of a siren call, Dustin. James wants that – James wants to compete with Ohio State, but can Penn State get its NIL status or package to be – anywhere in the ballpark of what Ohio State uh, is going to do in the coming years. And that number might actually be low, you know, in a couple of years. It might actually grow. And I wonder if James is frustrated by that. I think there's sort of an ongoing thing before name image likeness came along where Franklin is kind of asking the question amongst the people there, do we want to actually compete or do we want to say we want to compete? You know, because trying to meet meet that level of expectation requires more than what they've got. You know, like he he arrived at a situation where they hadn't paid a lot of attention to, you know, some of the details of the facilities and stuff like that. So now he's working to try to close that gap on that side of things. And here comes another big thing that they're like, he just knows that they're immediately going to start from a trail position on this. And he's right. Yeah, he is right. But. You know what, Dustin? This is some of his own doing, in my opinion. Penn State has never been able to build upon 
that one shining moment they had in 2016 when they well they upset Ohio State, they won the Big Ten title. And so what happens in 17, 18, and even 19? 17 and 18, they could have easily beat Ohio State back-to-back. Ohio State rallies to beat them in both games. The 19 game was at least close on the scoreboard, but it's getting steadily worse, I think, in terms of the talent gap. And I just wonder, you know, had Penn State been able to win, get a little bit of a win streak going against Ohio State, how much would that have impacted the recruiting classes from a couple of years ago and maybe even recently? Um, but I, I, they're one in seven against Ohio State. I think the gap is widening. It's not closing. They're getting good players to come to Penn State. But when you look at good players versus elite players that Ohio State's getting, Ohio State's also owning the transfer portal. It's I just think a lot. It's a lot of things that are lined up against Penn State. And to your point, this is just the latest. I think the latest you know knife in the coffin. I think for Penn State. I just don't know. You know, if, you, if you're going to try and compete with Ohio State and now you have to deal with this, it was hard enough before this came along. And, you know, you could argue, Dustin, that maybe that Penn State, if they could have found a way to maximize this right out of the gate, it would have been great. But James' NIL vision is one thing, but the reality is another, at least currently at Penn State. And what's going to change? How is it going to change? What, what, what needs to happen for them to get on the same footing as, as Ohio State? I mean, it's the same question just asked in a different light now than that has been asked for the last five years or so. Um, and I would say, you know, when it comes to this, I think for donors, it's easier to fund success than it is to fund hope. Unless you're Jimbo Fisher, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I know. Even, even, with, even with Fisher, I think in t- Texas is a big state. They got a lot of uh, influential boosters in there that have a lot of say. I think right now life is great at A&M for Fisher in terms of the NIL and the fact that he's getting these classes in. He did beat Alabama last year, but he's going to have to do this for a couple of years. They go to Alabama this year. If they get skunked, we'll see how the NIL money is at Texas A&M maybe in 2024 or 2025. I I think James knows he's facing an uphill battle. I think he's working hard with the new AD to find a way to close the gap, but you know, as we look at it now, you look at what Ohio State has, you know, coming back for the 2022 season, you know, and what Penn State has coming back for a se- That's the other thing, Dustin. What happens if, if this season looks like last season? Like, how, how, do you, how do you sound the war cry that you need more NIL money to compete with Ohio State if you can't beat them number one and you're closer to 500 than the Big Ten championship for yet a third consecutive year? And and this is this is the delicate dance right now of of and and you mentioned you know one and seven against Ohio State speaks for itself but I also think you know those games after losing to Ohio State have been highly disappointing like they, they've lost you know two or three games to Michigan State that they shouldn't have lost and like I think things look different if they if they recover more quickly from losses like that so there's like. You know, obviously, from a fundamental standpoint, Penn State is a little bit behind on the curve in some of these areas when it comes to Ohio State. But also, there have been some controllable things that have happened with James Franklin and this Penn State team that they didn't they didn't take care of. So you, you, you sympathize it on one hand, but you are right that there there have been some things that have been well within Penn State's control that they haven't done. Yeah, and J- James Franklin, you know, he's been he's getting paid a lot of money to compete with Ohio State, and it just feels like more often than not. In, in James's mind, there are a lot of outside factors that are contributing to this this one and seven record of this is this gap between the two teams. 
But I mean, ultimately, it's got to start with him. And he's got, I mean, it just feels, I don't want to say passing the buck, but I think to some people, that's what it feels like. He's passing the buck and a lot of things he's asked for, he's gotten, Dustin. So it, it's, it might be getting a little hard to stomach in some corners of the Penn State football multiverse, the fact that he's always asking for more. But yet, as far as coaching goes, it, it seems like even when it's a close game, uh, they find a way to lose it. Yeah. And uh, it'll, things will get really interesting if there is another season ahead like the past two. And now suddenly people are talking about how lopsided the contract that he signed is in, in his favor and not Penn State's. Penn, you know, if, if there is dissatisfaction, what options is Penn State going to have uh, to try to rectify that? But that's down the road a little bit, a little bit. You know, he, he had, like you said, you were there. He had some very strong words about NIL and competing. And he wouldn't mention Ohio State, even though everyone knew that's who he's talking about. But, you know, he's drawn attention to it again, right? So this is another thing. And it's also worth pointing out that Ohio State comes to Penn State this year. It's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be a primetime game. That's pretty clear. It's going to be an afternoon game. I sure hope if they lose the game, the excuse is, well, it would be great if this would have been a whiteout game. I, I really hope we don't go down that road with him. Oh man. I, I mean, you hope we don't, I kind of hope we do. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for ever since that great to elite conversation. Yeah. I remember, I remember when he said it and I said to Dave Jones, well, I would not have said that the way that he said that it was that right after the 2018 game that they let slip away. And, and he was really upset after the loss and he, he and you know, and he, he met with the press right after it and, you know, we, we, you know, that, that conversation right there, I, I thought that they weren't quite there yet. And he said, he kind of, he kind of hinted that they were there yet and they were going to get better, but it just has, it just has not been the case. I think a lot of people will be, will be really okay with being great right now after going 11, 11. Let's forget elite for a second. I think good in 2022 might be okay. And then <laughs> we'll worry about great. And we could talk about elite in 2024. If and when Drew Allar, Allar ever takes the field. Yeah, I think um, there are different places on the adjective spectrum here. Um, <laughs> uh, one other thing that and, – and I was very impressed by – I told Greg Pickle about this. So there, there's you know the horseshoe scrum around James Franklin. And things go sideways quick because everybody's trying to talk over each other. I told Greg – Greg was right next to me uh, working for uh, on three blue white illustrated. Now he anticipated the snap, like, like a Lawrence He's Taylor in his prime. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a, there's a timing at work. Cause what you have, I, what, what Dustin, what Dustin's talking about is you usually get James anywhere from 10 minutes to 15 minutes. Depend if it's a slow day and he's got time, you might get him for 30 minutes, but there's a pretty big throng up there. Usually even for 10 minutes. And everyone knows that, James is a great at filibustering if he if he if he wants to just answer a couple of questions. So if you're determined to go there and ask a question, it it's like the 100 it's like the 100 meter sprint trials. Like it's all about the start, you know what I mean? If you can't get your question in there first, I've gone I've gone to press conferences and not been able to ask a question cuz these guys just are so determined to jump over you and ask the question before you do. It's not always a question that's worth forcing out. I'll say that. So Greg, Greg wanted to make sure that somebody asked about Chop Robinson, the, Mar the Maryland transfer, because there's no guarantee. Like once it starts bouncing around and the, these kind of questions get, get asked, but Franklin did get into it a bit and, and 
has clearly been impressed with him since they've known him going back to his time as a prospect coming out of Maryland. He was a five-star by 24-7 sports. He he did say, Franklin did, that he will be a defensive end, so there will be a little bit of a transition to be a full-time guy there. Uh, and he said, he said he'll have to earn it, but it seems like what, what they want from him is is earnable, and that's to be a pretty prominent part of this rotation. Yeah, I mean, the, the kid was I mean, considered a five-star talent. He did not have – he had a pretty respectable true freshman season at Maryland, that other program or whatever James referenced. But um, clearly I think Penn State knew exactly – when at, wanted him. They knew what they were going to get with him. He certainly got the size. He, he You know, he looks the part, right? And, you know, the, the defensive end room just hasn't – it's not going to be the same without Ebiketti – and even Jesse Lucetta, they, they're counting on some guys that either are unproven or coming off injury. It's not the deepest room. You know, they had, they had a guy that had a three-sack game in the Outback Bowl that hasn't been mentioned at all in the offseason. I'm not sure what's going on there. But defensive end is a, is a huge position, I think, it, uh, if you're going to be good anywhere in college football, but especially in the Big Ten. It's, it's about the pass rush. you got to have some depth. And – he, look, he looks good, and I think he's a guy that has to – he's going to have to have a role as a top four end at Penn State and sooner rather than later with their schedule. I just think it's fascinating, Dustin, that, you know, they, they don't always – they're not like Michigan State. They don't get like 38 kids in the transfer portal, and Tucker hopes that maybe half of them hit, and if they do, they're going to be good. Penn State gets four or five, and, you know, they, they, need, to, they need a high success rate, and they're especially – with the top three kids they brought in this year, without question, Mitchell Tinsley, Hunter Norzad, and Chop Robinson. I don't know about you, but I think if they don't get really meaningful contributions, winning contributions from at least two of those three, I think Penn State's in trouble. I, I would agree with that completely. You know, I think they they need it from Mitchell Tinsley. They could use it from Hunter Norzad, and we'll talk about that guard competition in a second. But I think I think they need somebody who can affect the passer. You know, Nick Tarburton's not that guy. You want to rely on Adisa Isaac, but, you know, how, how certain are you of that? And then after that, who knows? So I think they need Chop Robinson to utilize those skills. After we talked to James, I, I did ask John Scott Jr. specifically about natural gifts. What natural gifts does Chop Robinson have that made him a five-star in the first place? And he really just rattled off all this, all the ingredients you need to be a good pass rusher. He's got a twitch, explosiveness, length, height, uh, said he has a, a, a good knack for it. So I, I do feel like he's going to get that job done. Arnold Ebiketti is a rare example of, of being able to get 18 TFLs and nine and a half sacks or whatever in year one. That's not going to be Chop Robinson, I don't think. But I think he's going to play. He's going to play a good role, and he's going to be able to kind of turn up the heat a little bit. And they they need that very very much. Yeah, and, and again, as I said, especially when you're going to Purdue and that passing game in the first week of the season, September fourth, September first, excuse me, that Thursday night game on Fox. I think I think Penn State knows exactly what Jeff Brom wants to do offensively, and he's got a big, uh, experienced quarterback who can throw the ball. They're they're a little bit short at the wideout position, but I just figure Purdue's going to figure that out. It's going to be one. It's going to be warm. I mean, there's no chance it's not going to be hot right on September first. The pass rush is going to have to be there for for all four quarters. They're going to have to rotate multiple guys and. You know, they don't have much time. I mean, I, I think that they're going to need those natural gifts that Chop has because it, it just feels like one of those games, one of those games like the Wisconsin game last year. 
it's going to be one in the fourth quarter. I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that's that's a game where Penn State's defense might have to win it late in the game, and it's that comes down to the pass rush. They had it at Wisconsin. That was a warm day. Ebiketti played an unbelievable game right out of the chute uh, in his first game at Penn State. If he doesn't, if they don't have him, they don't win that game. And the pass rush is key, and it's going to be they don't get to open up with uh, an easy game to get to get some of these guys ready to go. We talk about a little bit about PJ Mustafer as well and what James had to say about him. But when when you open with a schedule like Penn State has, where you got you got to go to Auburn and Purdue in the first three weeks. I mean, I know Purdue's not a big st- – it's not so much the Purdue crowd Penn State has to worry about. It's the Purdue team and that coaching staff. Whereas at Auburn, Auburn's got the talent and they have the crowd. So I think it's the hardest uh, opening three-game stretch considering those two teams that James has had since he's been at Penn State. It's a, it's a unique team to be getting off to that kind of start, especially in week one. Um, every team's got transitions to make and, and you have questions and you're looking for answers here and you're trying to build depth there. You're leaning on a young guy there, but you know, there's some, just some key spots on this team that the matchup in week one in particular is scary. You know, that not, nothing's conventional about it. It's going to be early. It's going to be Thursday. It's going to be nighttime. It's going to be on the road. Uh, it's going to be against a, t- a team that that has a, a well-designed and well-established offensive system and an experienced quarterback. I mean, this is a unique challenge for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know Penn State's looking forward to it, but we'll, we'll just circle back to the NIL conversation real quick that James Franklin is is trying to have publicly with, I think, the, the Penn State fan base and the donors and supporters he he wants to be able to kind of keep keep up with the better teams in the Big Ten and specifically Ohio State. Ohio State already named their number for 2022 and probably 2023. It's about 13 to 15 million dollars. I'm not sure where Penn State is uh, in, in relation to that amount of money, but I don't think it's it's that close yet. So I think that's why James is pretty upset about it. But I guess my point is, if Penn State would start one and two, I don't I. I don't know that the Penn State fan base is going to want to hear that. Well, we're right there. If we could just if we could just catch up on the NIL part, maybe we wouldn't be one and two. I don't think they're going to want to do that. A lot easier to, to feel good about investing in three and zero oh than than one and two. Even two and one. Yeah, even two and one. Yeah. This is the blue white breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Um, speaking of week one, PJ Mustafer, it looks like he's going to make his way back. Um, the question that I have, Bob, is how well conditioned will he be? How many snaps is he going to be capable of taking early in the year after rehabbing pretty much the whole way through the offseason? There is physical shape, but there's also football shape. There is hit. You gotta, you gotta be in a little bit of, it's called hitting shape. You gotta have contact. And plus, you know, one of the, one of the hardest things I think for these athletes to do, it's the mental side of it, right? I think there's no question that was a pretty significant injury. Um, you know, he had to have surgery. Who knows how bad that knee actually was? But when you're 330 pounds, I think it's one thing to be 
coming back in less than a year when you're 180 pounds wide receiver with, you know, with 6% or 5% body fat. And it's another thing to be a, a big boy inside that's going to, you know, that's going to have to deal with 330 pounders hitting him, you know, 30 or 40 times a game. And who knows what's going to happen there. I, I think that it's unrealistic to expect PJ to be anywhere near where he was when he got hurt at the Iowa game until maybe mid-October. I, I I could be wrong, but I think it's a big ask for somebody that big, the position he plays. I just don't see how he's going to be as good as he was right away. Now, maybe maybe they're just that they have a great rehab system, and maybe PJ is the kind of kid that could just hit the ground running. But it seems to me to be a big ask to be, have him ready to go um, against those those kinds of teams early. And there's it, there's not that much behind him. And and that's yet another kind of um, situation that has to be watched through through this. And maybe you know maybe his rehab takes him and and pretty early in in camp he's he's getting reps and he's starting to build up that football shape. We'll see. We don't know a lot of the nuance of the situation, but we do know that Penn State very much needs him to be the best version of himself. But at the same time. You know, it doesn't do him any good or Penn State any good to rush him and, and give him too much and have him get hurt again. You know, he ha- he really had no choice but to come back because he got hurt too early in the season. But man, if he had just stayed healthy last year, I, I mean, he would be he would have probably been. I think he was probably someone who could have. It wasn't. It was not considered a very deep defensive tackle class in uh, last year's draft. I think he was probably in the top one hundred conversation. Uh, at at minimum, and I think scouts and NFL teams know the history with his family in you know, the bloodlines. His brother's a starting center for the Bears. He was undrafted uh, after playing at Notre Dame. I think PJ. Uh, I think I think the combination of of, of you know just the the bloodlines and the and the family talent and the year that he had. He played a lot of football at Penn State. I just wonder mentally, is it hard for him to come back and play another year and not be sure about that knee? You know, he's he's an upbeat guy, but deep down, I don't I, this was never really the plan for him to come back and play in 2022. I, that's a lot of things I think that he's got to think about. And then he's got a last right. He's got a last 12 or 13 games this year. So uh, I wish him the best because it's been fun watching him play. But I think he's kind of been dealt a bad hand. And it's it's funny to hear. So Franklin t- was talking about how he rehabbed and how they have to sometimes try to dial him back as opposed to kick him in in, in the pants. Franklin calling PJ Mustafer. Franklin calling anybody a hard charging guy is funny because <laughs> nobody charges harder than than that guy. Yeah, that's right. That's a good that's a good way to look at it. But that what that is PJ's style. I think I think James really appreciates um, what PJ's done for the program. Another one of the plays a position that doesn't get a lot of glory because when you play inside, you tend not to get noticed. But I think that I think that the defensive coaches and James always appreciated what he meant to the defense. And you know, it wasn't a coincidence. Even though even though it was a close score, there was no coincidence, Dustin, that Illinois ran all over Penn State. I think it was the first game that he didn't play. They they ran for like 353 yards or something, and I, that was not a coincidence. So I, I don't think I don't think James has to worry about Purdue running the ball 45 times against Penn State on September 1st because that's really uh, PJ's uh, forte is stopping the run. But they're going to need him, and they're going to need him to play 20 to 30 really meaningful snaps. And I I really hope if he's not 100, percent I hope he's like 90 or 95, and I hope he's able to shake the rust off quickly. 
Uh, looking on the other side, we talked about the guard competition um, briefly, but you know Franklin seems to like what they've got. They're obviously re- replacing two starters with Eric Wilson and with Mike Miranda. And towards the end of the year, yeah, Juice Scruggs moving inside to center. That's going to be a more permanent move to start the year. Uh, but the five guys that he mentioned, Landon Tangwall, pre-spring, he he was listed as that he would be the starter at that point. Hunter Norzad, who Franklin obviously really likes, uh, Sal Wormley, who was apparently ticketed to be the starter last year before he got hurt. JB Nelson, who just came over from Lackawanna college and golden Israel Achumba was the, was the other one that that was mentioned. I just think I would say this, like I've heard this song before from James about liking his group. And in August of last year, I, I can't be sure, but I think he was saying something similar about Mike Miranda, who was actually an all big 10 pick. I know, I know he had moved to center, but he felt good about him, you know, going into 2022 and Anthony Wigan, and Anthony Wiggins' uh, starting starting role at Penn State lasted all of about a quarter and like five minutes. They had to pull him. So he's an optimistic guy, I think, by nature. What I would say this is he's always optimistic about the offensive line. But, you know, at other positions, he's not afraid to kind of be a little bit candid about where they are. But I, 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 when he always, you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf. I just don't know in reverse. I guess it would be in reverse. The wolf who cried boy. Yeah. I just think that it's hard to, it's hard to take him seriously. And even made, he even joked about it after the spring game. We talk a good game, but we never go out. We never go out on the field and back it up. That was probably the, the, the truest thing he's ever said about a position group at Penn State. And it was about the offensive line. They haven't been able to back it up really since the latter stages of the 2019 season at the line of scrimmage. And I'm talking about the offensive line. And now we're, 2019 is, is starting to get it's starting to get further and further away, Dustin. Uh, if they're not able to back it up in the month of September, I mean, what like what are we talking about? And can we ever take can we take can we ever take the group seriously? If they stay healthy, uh, they have to be better than last year. If they aren't, I don't know. Does it really matter if they bring four stars and potential five stars into the fold if they can't develop them? That's that would be my take if they if they don't get it done again. And, and I think at this point, if you're the mother or the father of, of a five-star offensive lineman, that's something that you you should be a little bit curious or concerned about. Especially on the offensive line. But, you know, I, I don't want to get into the quarterback discussion again, but I'm really curious to see how that's, how that's going to look at this time next year. But for the offensive line specifically, they they need to stay healthy. He, he talked at great length, Dustin, about – how thin they were in the spring. So you we knew that Hunter Norzad was going to be part of the August equation. And we knew he was a really talented player in FCS. And we knew that James was kind of excited about him. But other than that, what has changed? Like who, who he kept referencing that we're going to be, it's going to be different in August. We'll have more bodies, but I don't know who those bodies are. Whoever they are, they're either a inexperienced, B young or See, they haven't proven it. So I just wonder how is the how is this conversation about the offensive line that was consistent throughout spring practice about we really only had five guys, injuries, we had people leave the program, but we'll be in better shape in August. Other than other than Mr. Norzad, who are we talking about? Who is he talking about? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know who all was uh, injured. So Wormley didn't really work in the spring. Right. And Bryce Efner, did, it didn't seem like he did a lot of work. So, I mean, there is some validity to it, but I don't know that 
Joe Thomas was walking through the door in August, or I don't know why that was the first name that came to mind, but you know what I mean? You're not, (laughs) you're not a savior. Isn't walking through you are, you are getting, you're going to have more bodies healthy and present on campus, but not nothing that's going to change the game. And it's funny, like, you know, he, I I did agree with that. Oh, we keep talking a good game, but we, we haven't proven it yet. But then he, he comes right back and we're, we're back to talking a good game again. (laughs) Um, like I, I think you can say, you can frame this and say, you know, if you feel this way, like we've got five guys, but listen, the challenge is there for them. They have to make each other better. We need big time production from those two guard spots. We like what we have, but those guys need to go out and do it. Like, you, you know, you can put a little bit of an edge to that optimism if you want to. Yeah, I look for him to do that in August. I look for him to kind of he's he knows he he's really good at it. I I think he's gonna. I expect him to to change the narrative a little bit. My prediction is he's gonna go. He's gonna go from encouragement and hey, just you know, and uh, you know, I feel good about these guys. It's. Good. I think you're gonna. I think James is gonna. Cha- you're gonna see him. He's gonna be challenging the offensive line. He's gonna change the narrative, and he's gonna do more of what you said. And it won't be coddling it's going to be hey no excuses we got to get it done i expect them to get it done so then if they don't get it done like it's not really his fault he's going to say well i expected him to they just didn't get it done but it kind of is his fault <laughs> i i wish it were that easy in life to be like oh man i i expected it to be great but it wasn't it's not my fault the expectations were there what else was i supposed to do besides expect it yeah yeah we really felt good about them all year they all had great off seasons the strength and conditioning coaches felt really good about them. The guys that were healthy in spring did a great job. And and in August, we just didn't follow through. And I really thought they would follow through. So it's a little disappointing, but it's a long season. I could see that coming. I could see that. I could see that scenario uh, coming, but the the offensive line, if they do improve, I don't know that we're going to see it right away. And I I do think that it's reasonable to expect I'll get better as the year goes on, but you know, there's there's a lot that goes with that. You know, that he's he's got some talent at some other spots. He's got a veteran offensive coordinator. He's got a veteran quarterback who 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 is supposed to be able into good plays, out of bad looks. So you know, what I, it's not all about the offensive line. A couple of those guys, Hunter Norzad, Landon Tangwall, you know, even even a couple of the other guys, they uh, Caden Wallace. They all, they all look, they all looked apart. So maybe, maybe it's time for the tight ends are another group that certainly looks apart. You saw them, you see those guys go, you know, running the field at that, at that size. You know, it, it's not just the offensive line. Those, all those guys really need to take a step forward. So it is, it isn't one thing, but I do think if you're thinking the offensive line is going to be Joe Thomas and, and four other really good players, it's probably not going to be that way. They just have to take a step forward. They can't take a step back. I wish I would have thought of a more obscure, um, a more obscure example of of a savior. You couldn't use a recent Penn State guy, right? Because there haven't been any. So that was kind of you know part of the problem. You know, it, you know, you can't say who do you associate recently as being like a you know a really Stefan Wisniewski, but you know that was that was twelve years ago. So and even then, you know, Stefan Wisniewski is as great a, a Penn Stater as he was, and. He won a couple Super Bowls. He's no Joe Thomas. Right? Joe Thomas is really good. I could have said Connor McGovern or Donovan Smith, the Tampa Bay version of Donovan Smith, maybe. 
Yeah. I think Donovan Smith, although I, I don't yeah. Uh Connor I'm a Cowboys fan, so I, I would not have I would not have accepted Connor Connor McDonald. <laughs> he has not he is he's still got some proving to do to me. But you're we're gonna be talking about this offensive line, Dustin, until until we see progress. That could mean we're talking about this offensive line for a couple of years. I am a bona fide skeptic. Uh, I, I've taken the cheese too many times when I've heard about this. This is finally the year they're going to turn it around. And they just haven't been that good. You know, you could look at – he's in his ninth year. You look at – you look at even their, even some of their best offenses. They had Trace McSorley. Man, they had Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley doing some magic in the backfield to escape trouble or to extend plays. And was it really the offensive line? These guys – these guys – are, are just deficient when it comes to matching them up against Ohio State. Bottom line right there. One other name I wanted to bring up, um, Abdul Carter, who um, just arrived this week, the linebacker from Philadelphia. I think we talked before about maybe the, an opportunity maybe being there for a young linebacker, and he's definitely one to watch because he's 6'4", 235. Um, Terry Smith, who recruited him, had some really good things to say about his ability level and his instincts. Um, Franklin said it looks like he will – uh, get his start on the outside, but the, the inside, the mic spot um, looks to be maybe his future down the road. Just that's a lot for him to try to take on in, in year one, but he he's definitely a player to watch and he's literally just getting started. Franklin said that uh, Wednesday was his first day after going through physicals and stuff, stuff like that the first few days. Yeah. And linebacker to me is a really interesting, interesting position this year and next year because of the, the guys that they lost, Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks. There, I think there's some some legit depth questions that would open the door for some young, talented players to find some snaps. I also thought, I don't know about you, but I thought it was interesting that Manny Diaz was up at Patriots minicamp uh, this week. Uh, uh, you know, obviously he can't really work with the Penn State players. That's not what caught my attention. I'm just wondering, because it's a minicamp, right? It's not like, it's not training camp. So I, I wonder like who he was going up there to chat with because to, to, to make that trip, He's probably looking for some information and he's looking for a sounding board. I, I don't know if it's Belichick or somebody else on his staff, but I just thought it was a little interesting to note that he, I guess he was not available Wednesday. He was up in New England um, because I think he's looking for every way possible he can to turn this defense loose because you just don't know how many points this offense is going to score at Penn State. And also, I mean, if you want to talk about, um, especially defensively, a, a team that does more with less, um, the, I mean, I, and it's not the, I mean, the Patriots often have quite a bit of talent on defense, but you know, they're, they're, they're so scheme heavy that on offense and defense, they can change up their entire look in the span of a week. That's a good team. If you're, if you're looking to try to be more resourceful with the guys that you do have. I mean, yeah, if he can get a couple of, if he can get a couple of pointers from either Belichick or anyone else on his staff, that would be helpful. And it probably is what you said, Dustin, it, it's about, that uh, New England de- defense, uh, interchangeable parts. You know what? They have guys that are hybrid players, a lot like Penn State, and they're able to kind of mask things and really confuse offenses. I mean, they, they when they play their best defensive football late in the year, they do have some talent. There's no question. They usually have a talented secondary, which Penn State has, but you don't really associate the Penn State or the uh, New England defenses with really being you know, overpowering or dominating in the front seven. And that might be something that they have in common with Penn State this year. So maybe if you were going to visit a minicamp, maybe New England was the right one for Manny Diaz. 
Maybe he's scouting Belichick to be the next linebacker coach here at, at Penn State. One, one and done for Manny Diaz at Penn State. It was never about Penn State. It was about his next landing spot uh, Yeah, in, in his coaching career because he's, he's been around the block. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, I did hear that, you know, that his approach to these things is kind of similar to Brent Price. I'm sure you probably heard the same thing, but so that's good. That's good anyway. Not not a big transition, but uh, I think we'll have uh, we'll have more, um, you know, throughout here, June, July. We'll see when, when else Penn State makes these guys available and uh, what other news comes up. But for now, I think we're going to turn our, our attention maybe next week to some recruiting and, and what's going on there. A lot of big visits coming up. So we'll try to break that down here in the future. For now, that's it for this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. That's Bob Flanders. I'm Dustin Hockensmith. We'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>